What's up, everybody? My name is Mel, and I'm one of the leaders and a church planting resident here at Zion. Thank you for tuning in with us. Before we get started, I just want to say a quick word of prayer. Uh, Father God, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for preserving it for us. Thank you for the life of Jesus, which we have recorded in here. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be compelled and moved today to uh, protect our time in your, in your word, to seek you through your word, uh, that your word would dwell in us richly, uh, and God, do as you promised, and um, what you purpose for this message, God, make it happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So listen, the Bible is the most important and impactful book of all time. Now, I realize when saying that, that some of you are going to be like, yeah, get them, that's right. And then other you, others of you are going to be like, well, I don't know, not too fast. Um, but listen to these stats. All right, I think they are some pretty compelling stats. Conservative measures have put the Bible's sales at over 5 billion copies, right? Um, and second place is at about 800 million. So it's first place by far. In fact, the Bible is not even allowed to be on the bestseller list because it would be number one every year, selling more than 25 million copies each year. Your favorite Ivy League school probably started as a seminary where they studied, you guessed it, the Bible. Uh, and a lot of our hospitals and social organizations were started by people who took the Bible seriously and went to care for people. New York Presbyterian, Mount Sinai, just two examples there. Yet a study done by Barna, a research group that tracks trends in beliefs and values, um, estimated that of the people who actually own a Bible, 46% of them read it infrequently, if at all, and said it has minimal impact on their lives. On the flip side, 9% reported interacting with the Bible frequently, and it said it is transforming their relationships and shaping their choices. The study continued to show that people who engage with the Word of God, even three to four times a year, uh, were positively impacted, showing greater generosity with their time and resources, and having healthier relationships with God and other people. And so my hope is that after today, we will deepen our conviction to read the Bible, but then also that um, we'll learn from Jesus's life. See, we're starting a series today that we've prefaced the last two weeks, and the series is called The Way of Jesus. And one of the first habits that we're talking about is scripture reading. And so the passage that we see today, what we're going to notice is that Jesus knew scripture well and that he used the scriptures for his life to battle temptation and thrive in his relationship with God. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. 
And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you, then, will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is, uh, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, and answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. See, um, Here's what I want us to take away from this message today. We need to be in the scriptures to overcome temptation and to thrive in our relationship with God. To put it plainly, we read the scriptures because you need the scriptures. Read the scriptures because you need the scriptures. All right, so before this passage, I just want to give us a little bit of context here. Jesus was baptized and he actually hears the God the Father. So the Holy Spirit descends on him, and God the Father says this word, these words in Luke 3.22. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And so this is the pattern that we're going to find in this passage, is that Satan is going to try to tempt Jesus, and each time he's going to open up with a line that says, If you are the son of God. But Jesus had already received affirmation of that. And Jesus only responds in the best way that we can, where he says, it is written, each time responding with scripture. And so that leads me to my first point, which is read the scriptures because you need them to sustain you. Um, in beginning in verses one through four, what we see is that Jesus is led by, verse one, he is full of the Holy Spirit, um, and he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, where he is tempted by the devil for 40 days. Uh, and so the first thing I want us to know is that reading scripture has to be spirit-filled. All right? Because what, what Jesus was using was the word, but it was backed by his filling of the Holy Spirit. See, 2 Peter 1.21 tells us that, Men were carried along by the Spirit. And so, in essence, the Spirit is the author of Scripture. And then John 14, 26 tells us that the Spirit teaches to us all things and brings to remembrance the Word. And so, it is important that as we come to Scripture, we come full of and led by the Spirit. Let's continue. And so, it says in verse 2, for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing. Jesus was hungry. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to turn to bread. So check it out. Listen, if this was me, I'm hungry. I have the abilities of God, which I don't. But if this was me, I'd, I'd have taken bread. Right? 40 days, I did my, I did my due diligence. Like, I'm good. Right? But Jesus doesn't do this. The temptation that Satan is trying to get him at is to do this, this, this miracle um, so that 
he can fulfill this need, but it's out of a bad place. See, because Jesus was not drawing on his div- divinity for this, right? He, he's depending on the Holy Spirit. He is a human in this, in this part, and he, it would have been an abuse of his power if he had, would have gone and done something like this. And so Jesus responds by quoting, though, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, where he says, man does not live on bread alone. See, this is the thing, guys. We aren't limited to our physical needs. We aren't just, you know, animals that who, who act on instinct. Um, we are made up of body, soul, and, and spirit. Right, so you have a mind and emotions, and all of these things are important. And what Jesus is saying is, yes, bread is important, but it's not the only thing that is important. We are not limited to our physical needs. In fact, the verse, Deuteronomy 8.3, that Jesus is quoting here, continues to say that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, there's this parallel drawn between the word of God and food. That's why I say we need to read scripture um, because we need it to sustain us. A lot of comparisons are drawn between the the, the word and food uh, in the Bible, but one of my favorite is in Ezekiel 3, in verse 3, and he, it says like this, and he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it And it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. See, guys, we need the scriptures to feed us and nourish us spiritually. And while Jesus was hungry because he hadn't eaten anything physically, right, Jesus was full because he was full of the spirit and obviously, based on his response, full of scripture as well. Now, you and I, we we get hangry, right? Uh, if, If you don't eat... You know, if I don't eat, I start acting, you don't want to see it. Right? I start acting different. Uh, and so, hangry, hungry, angry, right? When I'm hungry, I'm not myself. Think of the old Snicker commercial, right? Hungry, grab a Snickers, da da da. Where these people just, they just come out of themselves. Some, some monster comes out um, because that need isn't being met. Well, spiritually, it's the same way. See, some of us are depleted. And, um, because we're not filling ourselves with the food and nourishment of this book, all right? And so, read the scriptures because you need them to sustain you. That leads me into my second point. Read the scriptures because you need them to keep you free from idols. So, pick up in the passage in verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms in the, of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. See, in a moment's time, I don't know how it was done, if it was a vision, I don't know how, but in a moment's time, Satan shows Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world, all of the corrupt governments that would happen. And the temptation here is for Jesus to say, all right, I'll worship you so I can take over and I can 
fulfill a just government. The problem with that is it would have been a huge compromise. See, Jesus was already identifying with people by taking on flesh, and Jesus' mission was not just that. Jesus' mission was to bring salvation, to bring connection with people, between people and God, not just to set up a holy and good government. That was part of it, but that was not the whole thing. And so Jesus could have set up a good government and stopped all the corrupt governments, but he wanted more than that, and the devil was asking him to compromise. See, worship, and also, here it is, worship of anything other than God is a compromise. And so that's why Jesus responds with Deuteronomy verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 13, where he says, worship God and God alone. In Deuteronomy 6, right, the context of that verse that Jesus is drawing from, right, when you sample another song, you kind of pick up all the stuff from that song. And so what the context there is that they were about to be brought into the promised land. And in their comfort, there would be temptation to worship other gods. The nation of Israel already battled with this struggle. They they had moments of this. Um, But... God promises that if they follow one of these other gods, it would lead to their destruction. And see, this is the reality for us. Worshiping another idol is a compromise of what we actually want. Goodness, peace, joy, all of those things. They may, there may be a glimpse of it, a hint of it, but it's a compromise and it's never the real thing. Not only that, but worshiping an idol will bring destruction. Now, what do I mean by an idol? Now, back in the days, they used to do statues, right? And many of us don't have that. Some of us still do, all right? That still happens in some cultures. Um, but for many of us, the idols aren't statues. The idols are the things that we worship or we ascribe worth to, right? Uh, think about money. Money can be an idol. Our own comforts can be an idol where we don't care about anything else as long as we're comfortable. Uh, sex can be an idol. Drugs can be an idol. Anything that we ascribe ultimate worth to can be an idol. And just like Satan, it may offer us a glimpse of goodness, but it is ultimately a compromise that will lead to our destruction. Recently, I did this uh, thing, this activity, uh, where I named all the activities that I do on a regular basis. And I rank them based on heart, do I enjoy it, impact, growth, and obligation. And I recommend you do this activity as well. But what it showed me, right, what it showed me is that I really value my own comfort. Uh, For like, you know, watching TV, I know we're taking jabs at Netflix, but whatever it is that you, that you, uh, you watch, for that, I put five, like I really enjoy that. But for everything else, it was like, is it an obligation? No. Impact? No. And I'm just talking about me personally, right? I didn't have capacity for all of these things that I was doing, so I had to t- cut back to make time for what's most important. But what I uncovered in, uh, in that example was that comfort was an idol for me because it was so hard to let go. Take a look at your bank statement. What is it that you have a hard time letting go? What is it that's competing for your attention with God, right? Um, and what, what we know here, what we see in this passage is that we need to read scriptures to keep us from worshiping 
um, idols. Keep us free from false gods. See, I heard this pastor say recently, and I want to share this with us. Satan is far more likely to dull your affections over a decade than to destroy your soul in a day. Things don't always end so quickly, right? Sometimes they fade. Uh, and we need to be careful of drifting into a pattern where we are making idols for ourselves uh, and not living according to this word and worshiping God and God alone. The passage continues, picking up in verse 9 through 13. And it says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, there he goes, throwing shade, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So, this brings me to my third point here. Read the scriptures because you need them to remind you that God is trustworthy. Satan turns up the heat here, no pun intended. Satan turns up the heat, and what he does is he quotes two scriptures back to Jesus. He says, I see what you're doing. I see it, all right? And he quotes from Psalm 91, 11, and 12. But what he does with that scripture is he twists it for personal gain. Side note, the reason why we need to read scripture is so we can notice false teaching. All right? Uh, I'm back. But the temptation here is to impose on God your will and twist the scriptures for your agenda. See, both verses that Satan, Satan quotes are passive. None of them say, throw yourself off a temple and, so that God can do these things, right? None of them ever tell you to put yourself in that situation, all right? And so what Satan is doing is he is twisting it. Deuteronomy 6, 16, though, that's what uh, Jesus quotes back to him, and he says, don't test God. Don't put God to the test. He is faithful. And in another way, we could put it, remember your place before him. God is to be trusted. We are not one of his advisors. We're not one of his consultants to impose our will on him. God is way, is, is the only one that's qualified for that job. We are way underqualified to be God. We have no business telling him how to do his job. He is far more trustworthy than you and me. You know, so many times I hear, if God does this, insert a blank, you know, blank here, then I'll believe. Um, and what I find is that these types of responses are filled with entitlement. They're filled with this impatience and molding God to our image. Personally speaking, I, uh, a couple of, you know, I've spoken about this before, Almost a year ago, started leading this prayer movement, and we were praying for someone that I love dear uh, to my heart um, to be healed. And that person ended up passing away. And as you go through the stages of grief, I went through this stage of grief where I was just, I was upset at God. I had to be honest with God, and I was upset. Um, and what I was taught during that time was that I felt like I deserved something, right? That I, I, I felt like I knew better than God. And as hard as it was, what, I was, what I'm still learning is that God is faithful and he is trustworthy. And while we don't always know what he has in mind, we know we can trust him. We can trust him. See, throughout this whole scenario, throughout this whole situation, 
Jesus has been quoting specifically from Deuteronomy 6 through 8, which describes Israel's wilderness experience. And so what Jesus is doing is he is identifying with Israel in his own wilderness journey of of the 40 days of fasting. Um, But Jesus is also showing himself to be the truer and greater son of God. See, in Hosea uh, Hosea 11, 1 and 2, um, God calls Israel his his son. God calls Israel, the nation of Israel, his son and love. And Jesus, though, right, coming on the scene as the true son of God, the greater son of God, overcoming temptation and going through this experience. And so this brings me to my last point. And my last point is this. Read the scriptures because they are full of good news that you need to hear. Read the scriptures because they are full of good news that you need to hear. In Luke chapter 4, going down to verse 16, we haven't read this part yet, but Jesus, there's another moment where Jesus uses scripture. And it says this, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, his habit, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Boss, just boss. Like If there was mics back then, he would have dropped the mic right there. Um, but what, what Jesus proclaims right, is that this prophecy from Isaiah was fulfilled in him. He was the very fulfillment of that prophecy right there. Uh, there, there is a, there's a word in this passage, liberty, which is the Greek word aphesis, uh, which really means release, to release someone. And it points to Leviticus 25. So this is like an inception of scripture, right? Where Jesus quotes from Isaiah, but then Isaiah is alluding to Leviticus 25, where really what they were talking about was the year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee would have been a time where slaves and prisoners would be free, debts would be forgiven, and the mercies of God would be particularly manifest. Hear this. Jesus is saying that he has come to bring release, freedom, right, for all of us who are feeling chained and enslaved or imprisoned, for all of us who are feeling like we have debts, these weights that pull us down. He's saying I for, he's offering forgiveness in himself. And he's offering the mercy of God manifest in his very presence. Because God, right, God comes in the form of a man to hang on a cross, die in our place, and resurrects, defeating sin and death for good. 
And so this is good news, church. And we need to read the scriptures because they are full of good news that we need to hear. So in closing, read the scriptures because you need the scriptures. Read them because you need them to sustain you like you need food. Read them because you need them to keep you free from idols, false gods that only give you compromise and lead to destruction. Read them because you need them to remember who God is. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He provided so many times for his people. He will provide for us as well. Read them because they are full of good news that you need to hear. God has created a connection between us and him. He has freed us. He has brought liberty to us that we get to enjoy. And so I wanna, I wanna end with some practical tips because maybe we've been, you know, we're more convinced now and maybe we're like, yes, I wanna read the scriptures. But here's the thing. Um, I want to give you guys a place to start. And there's a couple of different suggestions that I have. So treat this like more like a menu and not like a I must do this or that. Here are some suggestions, right? Track with this series. In this series, we're going to be talking about spiritual habits that help us to connect with God. And they also create space for things like scripture reading. Like you can see in this passage, Jesus was fasting. Um, and that was able to help him to ruminate and meditate on the scriptures. Pray for the Spirit's help in reading the scriptures. All right? Uh, John 16, 13, and 14, I alluded to this before. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And one of those things is the scriptures. Look at the beauty of the word of God. And so sometimes we come to this like looking for facts and learning about things, right? But what would it look like for us to think about how beautiful it is that Christ died on the cross? How beautiful it is that he resurrected? How beautiful it is that he ascended? Then we can appreciate it um, and and it, and just like envision, envision it in a different way. Uh, find a scripture reading plan. So when I first became a Christian, I would just like take the book and I was like, all right, that's what I'm reading today. Um, but I've found that scripture reading plans help you not just you know pick and choose, like ah, I like this one, I don't like that one, but really get the whole breath and uh, go deep into the Bible. And so look for a good scripture reading plan. I use one that's called the five-day reading plan that I recommend. It's in the uh, sermon resource, or it might be, I don't know. Um, so, or you can find one book. Start with a book of the Bible. Start with a gospel, the shortest one being Mark, right? Or read the book of Colossians. You know, it's highly probable that the Colossian church only had the letter to the Colossians. Uh, and we have the whole Bible, but it's okay to just stay in one Bible, in one book, excuse me, and to, you know, meditate on that book. Create time and space. Don't assume it's going to happen on its own, all right? You need to make space for it to happen. I put my Bible in plain view right next to my bed, so when I get up, 
I'll go and I'll get out of my bed because if you know instead of scripture reading and reading the scripture will be reading me. Uh, I get out of my bed, sit down, and I read it. Um, so create time and space, and also come up with a plan B because if that plan A don't work out, at least you have another time, right? Meditate and memorize. The Psalms say to meditate on the law day and night. Um, and I find that memorizing scripture is really helpful. Jesus in this passage, right, he wouldn't have scrolls and books, they weren't readily available to people. So it's likely that these scriptures were quoted from memory. Um, and it would have been a practice back then to memorize entire books of the, of the Bible, of the Torah, Tanakh, all of that. Um, get someone who will keep you accountable. So do the reading with someone. Uh, or maybe you're new to Bible reading and you're like, I don't want to mess this up. Find a mentor, someone who's more mature than you, that will help you to make sense of what you're reading. Write and reflect. All right, so take, take a moment to, to write down what you're reading, what you've just read. Studies show that when you write, it helps you to take, remember more. Uh, and then reflect on what you've read, too. Right, like, what does this mean for my life? Four questions I like to use are who, what does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about what God has done? What does it tell me about who I am and what I should do? Fine, uh, last ones. Apply it, have scriptures ready for battle. All right, so all of us have our own battles that we go through, and there are some scriptures that apply to those more heavily than others, right? So if you battle with lust, think about 1 Corinthians 6, um, or Job, where he says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Uh, if money is an issue, you know, think about uh, what Jesus says in Luke, that life does not consist in the possession, uh, in one's possessions, and have those scriptures ready for battle. And finally, Pray for help to obey the scriptures because we need help in obeying them. Let me pray for us to that end. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us, help us be a church that values this book, uh, that's in it, uh, and that lets this book shape us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.